Y'all will be involved today. I promise you. I know God just took out Herod. God just took out Herod. That's exactly right. He executed Herod. And um, before that, Peter was... Uh, Peter was... Uh, what's in that cup? Coffee? I'm not bringing it in. You can have it. Okay, thank you. I got a Sprite in that's good. I know. I make great She coffee. said, I'm not bringing it in here. You said that. Well, he gave it to me. I gave it to him, so. I'm not. He's striking that coffee like there's nobody's feet. We I'm all make great coffee. coffee. She does make great coffee. I make great coffee. All right. I'm not, I'm not supposed to have coffee. You want Is this yours? Would you bring it in here for you? It's okay. You Yeah. No, not in the sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to have as much as I want, but it's not in the sanctuary. All right. We need to go get you a lid. No, I'm not going to drink it. I'm not going to drink it in here. That's it. I'm not going to drink it. I'm not going to do that to y'all. So one, one more. I'm going to knock it off in the back there. No, and I'm going to throw it away. No, don't you. Well, give it back to Jim today. It's going to throw it away. All right. All right, Acts chapter 13. We're going to have to hurry. Uh, we got to get out on time today. Brother Johnny's going to preach 1030 service, and uh, I'll get to preach again tonight. Uh, hopefully I'm going to preach on discernment. We're going to talk about some discernment this, this evening. Um, discernment, yeah. That don't have nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, though. Okay, Herod's just executed. Remember, God delivered Peter. God allowed James to be executed. Uh, we talked about the gospel is going to go forward. It's going to be victorious. The kingdom's going to be victorious. Even if God has to, God's going to judge his enemies and, and destroy them. It may not be as quick as we want it to be, but it will come eventually. Um, God is going to um, call some people to suffer and die, be martyred for the faith. That's going to happen throughout the rest of the book of Acts. He's going to call some people, he's going to deliver some people out of martyrdom. So the point we saw, saw last week was that whether you are just going through the greatest thing in the world and God has shown up and delivered you out of the lion's den or whether God has allowed you to suffer a martyr's death for the faith, uh, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, the, the gospel will be victorious. You can look around at the world today and just everything's bad and everything's awful and everything's going downhill, but According to Scripture, that we the the gospel will be victorious, the kingdom of God will be victorious, even if judgment falls on all kind of uh, nations or peoples or, or whatever. And so, when we see that, the last thing we read in Acts chapter thirteen was that Paul and and Barnabas returned from Jerusalem. What were they doing in Jerusalem? Anybody remember? None of y'all remember what they were doing in Jerusalem. Y'all need to be taking some notes or something. They were preaching. They were, well, they were preaching, but why did they come to Jerusalem? They left Antioch to come to Jerusalem because... All right, now I'm going to start throwing erasers. You don't have any. I don't have any erasers. Okay, y'all got to, we got to, you got to stay with the flow of the book. This is why we do this this way, is because I can come and I can talk to you about Acts chapter 13, but I don't want it to be disconnected from the rest of the book. That's why we do this the way we do it, and I'm not just standing up here preaching sermons to you, because I want you to see that Luke sat down and wrote this whole book, and it flows just like a book, and it has a storyline, it has a plot, it has 
narrative, its teaching, and all that kind of stuff. They left. Remember, Agabus the prophet came and said it's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. And so the church at Antioch did what? They sent aid to Jerusalem by the hand of Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem. While they were there, all this happened with James, persecution, Peter, Herod. And at the very end of Acts chapter 12, it says uh, Paul and Barnabas finished their ministry there in Jerusalem, bringing aid to the church of Jerusalem, and they went back to Antioch. Okay, so now we're going to pick up with the church at Antioch. It says, uh, verses one, verse 1 in chapter 13, it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as, uh, listen, Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, and Manaen, which was which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So it lists some men here who were leaders in the church. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work, excuse me, where I have called them unto. And so what you see here is I want to make sure that you understand this point before we move on. We're only going to do 12 verses today because there's so much to talk about in those 12 verses. A lot of times when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of a person who is wandering around the countryside uh, preaching and planting churches and all these kind of things. A guy who's kind of a loner. He's kind of a guy that's just off by himself doing God's will, doing God's work. And that gives people license sometimes to think that they don't need to be involved or invested in a local church. But that is not Paul's thinking. Paul, before the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas out to be these great missionaries that they would turn into. Uh, they were invested in teaching and leading and serving in the local church at Antioch. And it was a big church. Remember, Antioch was the third biggest city in, in the Roman Empire at this time. And so they were invested in this church. That was Saul's ministry. That was Saul's ministry. I, I keep saying Paul. He had, his name hadn't changed yet. Well, had, his name has changed. Okay, stop. Remember, we talked about this before. A lot of people think that God changed Saul's name to Paul when he was converted. But Saul, Luke doesn't start calling him Paul until this chapter, Acts 13, around verse 8. Yeah. Okay, then. Nine, excuse me. And so... Paul was, they had the Hebrew name, the Roman name, you know, they all had three names. And so his name was, his name, his Hebrew name was Saul, his Greek Roman name was Paul. And so I think that he started using his name Paul when he started ministering and preaching to the Gentiles. And we'll see that here in, in, uh, in, in this verse. Um, and so... Anyway, what I need you to see is that Paul was invested in the local church. He did not just pick up and start saying, you know what, I'm going to go wander around and see who needs the gospel and go plant churches. He was invested. He, he, he would later write to Timothy that the local congregation, in, in the book of uh, 1 Timothy, uh, he's telling him how to conduct himself, how to conduct yourself in the house of God. He's talking about the local assembly. There, not the overall worldwide church in Timothy. He says, he says, the house of God, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so he was invested in the local church. And you see these other men, they were all of various backgrounds. They were all of different uh, ethnicities. You know, this uh, uh, one, the 
Simeon, which was called Niger, was probably, you know, he's probably from North Africa, probably probably a black guy. Uh, Lucius was Cyrene, from Cyrene. He was a uh, different nationality. Manian was this guy who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, who was had connections in Rome. We saw that last week. And so they had all different kind of people, all different kind of uh, ministers there. And it says, and they ministered to the Lord. They were worshiping before the Lord and fasting. And it, the Holy Ghost separated, it said, separate me from Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. A lot of people have wondered how the Holy Ghost spoke. Did they just hear a voice from heaven? Did, you know, it says that they were prophets and teachers, these at the very beginning. Did he speak through a person, which is probably the case? He did. Um, one thing I also want to point out when you talk about the prophets and being the prophetic word of God, um, at this time there was no New Testament, but does that mean that they had nothing to judge whether a prophet was actually speaking God's word or not? We had no New Testament. We're a New Testament church. We're in Antioch, first century, uh, and somebody comes up and says, I'm a prophet. God told me to tell you this. What would they do to verify? Anybody? I would think that there would be another person that would, you know, like deep calling the deep, there would be another person to say, you know, that would verify that. So, yeah, I would. I would well, that, that. there might have been. There might have been. And what, what, but they had to have a standard, and they did have a standard. We'll see it, we'll see it later in the book of Acts. Yes, they had the Old Testament scriptures. We're going to see in Acts chapter 17 that Paul went preaching to the, the people in Berea, the Bereans. And he says that they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. And why were they more noble-minded? Because when Paul preached to them, they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. Even the Apostle Paul. I mean, they didn't even take his word for it. They searched. Paul would often, we're going to see his speech later on in chapter 13, his first sermon. Uh, but he going to use Old Testament passages to show that Jesus is the is the Christ and they were searching the scriptures. So there were men that were speaking for God. There were were teachers who were applying the Old Testament. It lists all these men here and Paul was invested in this church and the Holy Spirit called him out. We're not sure how whether he spoke probably spoke through one of the prophets there, uh, but he called him out to do uh, this ministry of going and preaching and teaching. Now, what you would expect is the church say, well, the Holy Spirit says it. Let's do it. But is that what they did? Did they immediately say, OK, go. What they do What's the next verse say they did after the Holy Spirit spoke to them and told them what the Holy Spirit wanted. They fasted and they prayed some more. And the reason they did this was probably, it's probably multiple reasons, but they were fasting and praying to make sure that they were on the right track, make sure that this was the Spirit of God speaking to them. We're going to talk tonight about testing the spirits so they're not all of God. We're going to talk about uh, the way to discern the spirits and all those things. But they were also fasting and praying probably to... Uh, to um, protect Saul and Barnabas to send them on their mission to lay hands on them and ordain them for their mission and all those kind of things and so they they sent them out and when they had fasted and prayed some more they laid their hands on them and sent them away that's where we get the laying on of hands the ordaining for ministry and the, you know all, all those kind of things that you've seen uh, a million times before and it's all through the book of acts and here is the here's the 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 crux of what we're going to talk about. Simon, I mean Simon, Paul and Barnabas are going to meet this Roman who wants to hear their preaching. 
But along with this Roman comes this, this magician, this sorcerer. His name is Bar-Jesus. And uh, we've seen uh, the gospel come in contact with a, a quote-unquote sorcerer before, haven't we? Who is that? No. No, no, I'm talking about in Acts. We've seen the gospel, an apostle face off with a sorcerer before. Who was the sorcerer? Simon the magician. Yeah, it was Peter. Peter who came. Actually, Philip encountered him first, and then Peter came and said, "Your heart's not right with God. Your, you know, your money perished with you. You thought you could buy the gift of God with money." And so, this is the second time. Now, Paul's going to come head to head, and what we're going to see is what we're going to see is that Paul's going to show grace. He's going to show a love, but it's not a love that's permissive. It's a love that pretty much offends, but you would not want Paul as your pastor or, or as your Sunday school teacher because he's very offensive when it comes to the gospel. Let's just read it and we'll see. So they, being set forth by the Holy Ghost, departed uh, unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So if, I wish I had a map. I'd show you. Okay, you got the Mediterranean Sea. You got Israel's right next to the Mediterranean Sea. They're up here in Antioch, which is like where Turkey would be, right? And they, they come down to Seleucia, which is a port city, and they sail out into the Mediterranean Sea to this island of Cyprus that's right out there. It's like 30 miles off the coast in the Mediterranean Sea. And they parked right at a, a port called Salamis on the the east end, east end of the island. It says, and uh, when they were at Salamis, which is that port city, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. They had John with them. Who is John? John Mark. John Mark. Remember, this is going to be important. His, his company with them and his lack thereof later is going to be important. So remember that. John Mark was with them at this time. And so, and when they had gone through the island, it's actually the whole island, uh, they, they preached and taught all the way through the whole island of Cyprus. They came to Paphos, which is the capital city, and it's on the other side of the island. If you've got a map in the back of your Bible that talks about Paul's journeys, you can look at it and you can see the, the island of Cyprus. You've got Salamis on one end, you've got Paphos on the other. Paphos was the capital. This was a Roman province, so it had a Roman governor over it. And so they came to the island of Paphos and they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now this is how this guy is introduced to us. He is a sorcerer. Now the same thing that we see here we saw in Acts chapter 8. When it says he was a sorcerer, when it says he was a magician, it doesn't mean he was walking around with a black cape pulling rabbits out of people's hats and stuff like that. He wasn't doing card tricks and that kind of magic. What we're talking about here is what you and I would call a witch doctor. Like someone who would, uh, you know, if you had a problem, you know, my child is sick, my harvest is not good, there's disease in my house, something's going on, you would go to this guy and say, I need a spell, I need an incantation, I need you to make a sacrifice to the gods of whatever and, and, and fix this thing that's going on. And so he was one who would uh, look at the stars and, and try to discern the future and he would, he would be one that you would go to, to to fix things and he would make you a potion or a whatever. He's what we would call a witch doctor. And so he 
was he was a witch doctor sorcerer guy, but it says he was also a Jew. And he is also a false prophet. Now, what what we see here is this guy, he's got to be an apostate Jew. He can't be because sorcery and magic and the occult things, that was forbidden in Judaism. And so he's got to be somebody that strayed away from Judaism or, or those kind of things. But he was the uh, he was in the court of this guy. Let's read the next verse. Uh, which was with the deputy. Deputy, it means governor, uh, pro-council of the, of the country, Sergius Paulus. That's the Roman. The Roman who was in charge of this whole region. He was a prudent man and he called, this Roman called Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So you got this Roman Sergius Paulus, he had these magicians, these these spiritual advisors in his court and Romans were really superstitious. They prayed to all kind of different gods. Soldiers prayed to Mithra and they had, they had all these different kind of gods that they prayed to. And so this Sergius Paulus had you know, lo- probably lots of people in his court that were his spiritual advisors that would be, you know, this god says this and this is how we get a better harvest. And this is how we make the people happy and blah, 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 blah. And so this guy, Bar-Jesus, this guy, he, he had Sergius Paulus's ear. So they come, Sergius Paulus was a superstitious guy, and so he hears about all this stuff going on. Paul and Barnabas are crossing through his territory. He's governor of this territory. He's, uh, he's the Roman magistrate that's in charge of all this. And what he's hearing is that these two guys have come from Antioch, and all kind of people are being turned to this new God that we've never heard of before. All kind of these people are are being uh, called by this name Jesus, this name that uh, uh, they call the Christ who was supposedly crucified and rose from the dead. And so Sergius Paulus wants to hear. He wants to hear what all this is about. No doubt people are being converted all over the island. No doubt there's opposition all over the island. And so uh, he says, I want these guys to come to me and I want to hear this word of God. I want to hear what they have to say. But with him is his spiritual advisor, this magician. Bar Jesus, who is a Jewish guy, and he is also, Paul calls him, uh, Luke calls him a false prophet, one that is not telling Sergius Paulus rightly. And so, what you're going to see is, what you're going to see is that you and I, and it says, the next verse says, but Elymas, which the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation. There's a lot of controversy about Elymas. Elymas means, the word itself means uh, anointed one, wise one, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, it, so his name is by interpretation. It says, it, he withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Now, the first thing you need to see is when you're a servant of Christ, you are going to have opposition. It's a, it's a fact. I don't care where you go. I don't care what kind of stuff you do. I don't care where your ministry's at and you all have a ministry, whether it's school, work, whatever. You're going to have opposition. It says that he withstood, he withstood, uh, which means he opposed, he he resisted what Paul was doing, what Paul was saying with Sergius Paulus. Now, it doesn't tell us how he withstood him. It doesn't tell us how he resisted him. You know, what are some ways that you can resist? the gospel or some ways that people oppose the gospel. Now, of course, but right off the bat, you got the ones that are rabid atheists. That's stupid. That's not true. Blah, blah, blah. You got that. That's, I mean, that's easy to spot. You can see that a mile away. But what are some other ways that people, people who are religious people, 
oppose the preaching of the gospel. They make light of it, mock it, make light of it. Give me an example of somebody making light of the gospel. Well, Jesus, he, he died for our sins, but that, that doesn't necessarily apply to what I'm doing. Yeah, that's true. How about, have you ever heard, I mean, I know y'all heard this one, where you come and you say, hey, I got, I got saved. Praise God, I was saved last night. And they'll say, well, them crazy people got to you too, didn't they? Yeah, I thought you was already saved. I mean, how many times are you going to get saved? How many times? You, that's making, making light of the gospel, making a mockery out of the gospel. Or I've had people that will be saved and they're just so excited. They're so excited and they're just, you know, they're, they're on fire wanting to do for the Lord, wanting to whatever. And some old cranky 30-year-old Christian will say, yeah, I used to be like that. You'll be like me after a while. Make light of it. Uh, another way you can oppose it is to distract people from it. I can see, I can see Bar Jesus in, in Sergius Paulus's ear going, "Man, you ain't got time for this. I mean, look at all this stuff you got to do. You're the governor. This guy needs your attention. This guy needs your attention. We need you to come over here." You know, I can see him whispering in his ear the whole time. Paul's trying to talk to him, distracting him from the gospel. How do people distract people from the gospel today? Come on now. So I know you can give me a good example of that. Getting up and down during service. <laughs> Getting up and down during service. Yeah. Huh? Talking during service. Talking during service. Yeah. Cell phones. Cell phones. <laughs> We're all talking about church service. Y'all y'all some distracted folks in church services. Yeah. No, but hey, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, I can remember having conversation with a person uh, that I'm really close to. And this person would agree with me on everything about the gospel. You know, We wouldn't have no disagreements. And I was talking to this other guy and I was trying to, you know, tell them about the gospel. He had some misconceptions, whatever. And this other guy who agrees with me, and I know agrees with me, he was just arguing to be arguing because it's fun to have a theological argument. Yeah, but you know, some people say that you got, you know, just doing that while. Now, if you want to do that, I love, I'm all in. We'll sit across the table, drink coffee, and we'll argue theology all day long. I'm in. I love it. I I mean, I, I, I am your man if that's what you want to do. But not when I'm sitting here trying to tell this person about the gospel. Not when I'm sitting here trying to, you know, this guy's soul's at stake right here. And I, it's not time to argue about the minutia of whether, you know, you know, how is exactly the hypostatic union made perfect in Christ. It's not time for that. We need to talk about the gospel and all this stuff. And so that just doing that distracted from that. It distracted from telling this person about the gospel. I preached Wednesday night. I preached Wednesday night. Y'all going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't care. Y'all go tell them. I don't care. I was preaching Wednesday night. And I said, I was in, uh, where was that, Micah? Yeah. And there's a city called, and I figured out, I also learned that I was pronouncing it wrong. It, it, he said, all the way from Shittim to Gilgal. It's actually Shittim, which is probably where. But every time I said Shittim, and every time I said duty, like it's your duty to do this, there were these two ladies right here that just died laughing. And it's all good with me, but when I seen them die laughing, it distracted me. 
it just not I don't mind distraction. I'll be the biggest distraction. You know, I'm with you. But it was like it threw me off my it threw me off my thought process. And it, it, it you know, and so I had to change. I started saying this camp and that camp because I couldn't say the city's names anymore because every time I did, it was a hen party over here, you know. And so I, I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. <clears throat> Not saying that that caused anything or anything like that, but what if, what if there was somebody who needed to hear the gospel right in front of them, or right behind them, or right over here next to them? Some of y'all nodding y'all heads when I said it. Y'all was sitting over here. Y'all probably saw them. Y'all probably saw the whole deal going on. And they good folks. Ain't not, they would have. I mean, if if they knew somebody's soul was on the line, they would never do anything. And I've done the same thing before, so I'm not saying it's nothing. I'm just saying it's easy for us to distract somebody when we're not aware of the seriousness of what's going on. When we're not aware of the needs that may be around. It's easy for us to distract people from the gospel. And when you do that, when I do that, and I've found myself in that position, before you know I can remember sitting on this front row in early service back when brother Eddie used to preach the early service and I would go to bed like at two in the morning and get up and come to early service and I would sit on this front row and I'd be like this <laughs> and after a while he told me you know you're if you're gonna you, you're distracting me you're going to do that. Go sit on the back row. If you're going to be half asleep when you come to church, go sit on the back row. Don't sit right here in front of me while I'm doing it. So I've been there. I've been a distraction. And I'm sure y'all all have too. We've all, but <clears throat> that is, an, uh, it's opposing the gospel. It's opposing the gospel. Me, me sitting there with my eyes crossing and whatever was opposing the gospel if it was getting in the way of that message going forth. So it doesn't tell us how Bar-Jesus was opposing the gospel or withstanding uh, the Paul's preaching to this guy. But you can imagine a myriad of ways. I mean, he probably could he could have been standing there going, that's stupid. I ain't heard. He was a Jewish guy. That had left Judaism, so he could, he was he might have been saying, "Look, I I know all about what this guy's talking about. I was raised a Jew just like this guy. I know about the temple, and I know about the sacrifices. I know about the God of Abraham. I know about all that kind of stuff." And he's not telling you what's right. He's not telling you all kinds of distractions, all kinds of opposition to the gospel. Now, the thing that you and I need to know is that opposition is going to come. It's going to happen. That's why, you know, I didn't say nothing in service the other night. That's why Brother Eddie wouldn't say nothing to me out in service tonight. You expect it, especially today. Johnny's going to preach at the 1030 service. It's going to be all kind of opposition in here. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be all kind of things going on that's going to try to take his attention, going to try to get him. The You know, I had y'all know about the note, right? I had that happen to me one time, you know, where I'm fixing to preach. Brother Eddie's gone and this little old couple uh, came up. Up and I'll spare you the spare you the details, but the wife the wife sat here, the husband sat way back there, and so the wife sent the man a note, and the man brought me the note. He says, "I can't see, you know. Can you please read this to me?" And I opened the note, and it said, "Brother Jason's preaching today. Nod your head if you want to leave after the singing." You know, I was like, yeah, "That's not funny." <laughs> now imagine imagine trying to preach behind that. You know what I mean? Getting up there having to preach behind that. You're gonna have you're gonna have opposition. You're gonna have opposition. Oh yeah, they don't go here no more. Thank you. Yeah, I I took care. Huh. Yeah, I laughed. I laughed it off. I didn't say nothing about it. I had to read it to him. 
He didn't just bring it to me. He wanted me to read it to him because he said he couldn't see. But I can't see how you got Because I'm not you. You were probably laughing going, but do you want to leave? <laughs> they don't go here no more. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> that's a funny example, but that's opposition. Let me tell you what. I, I'll just do this just because I can. Um, when a person when a when a person says, you know, I need to I need to meet with the pastor, you know, just because I have a problem counseling, that's what he's here for. He would love to meet with you. But not 20 minutes before he preaches. <laughs> Don't come in here on Sunday morning, Sunday night or Wednesday night right before service and say, I need to talk to you. You are being a distraction. After service, I need to talk to you. Okay, I've seen him stay here for hours after service. I've seen him go in the middle of the night to somebody's house that need him. I've seen him go at 4 o'clock on a Saturday morning to a house that need him. Just don't come right before service because he's got his mind on preaching. And a lot of times I've seen people get offended because they're wanting to talk to him and he's looking over their head, you know, just thinking about what he's going to be preaching. That's what he's supposed to be doing. And so there's lots and lots of ways you can oppose the gospel. And so we don't know exactly what Bar Jesus was doing, but we know that Paul has had enough. Okay, the point is, Sergius Paulus's soul is on the line. So he is not going to let this guy oppose what he is doing. So look what he says. He says, uh, verse 9, this is where Saul's name changes to Paul. From the rest of, from this point to the rest of the end of the book of, of Acts, his name will be called Paul. He'll never be called Saul again by Luke in the book of Acts. It says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him. On, on Sergius Paulus. I can think, come on in, Karen. How you doing? He set his eyes upon, he set his eyes upon uh, Bar-Jesus. Now, I know just the fact that it's in here written this way. It, he gazed at it. I mean, he, he's talking to Sergius Paulus. He's talking talking to him, trying to tell him about the gospel, tell him about Jesus, tell him what God has done for him. He's trying, he's worried about his soul. This guy's soul is on the line. His eternity's at stake. And this guy's over here resisting. He's distracting. He's opposing. He's doing whatever it is that he's doing. It says Paul looked and he fixed his gaze. He turned his eyes, laid his eyes upon him. And this is what he said. He said, and said, oh, full of all subtlety and mischief. You could, you could also try translate that deceit and wickedness. He says, you're full of subtlety and mischief. Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Oh, Paul wasn't too politically correct, was he? You see, he should have, what Paul should have done, right, is he should have come and said, now, Bar Jesus, me and you need to work together. You got your way. I've got my way. And we, need, we just need to come together. This really isn't an issue worth arguing over. This isn't something that we should come and, and break fellowship over. I mean, he didn't do none of that. He looked at him and he said, you are a son of the devil. He said, you are full of wickedness. You are full of deceit. You're full of subtlety and malice is what he said. You are, uh, you are perverting the way of the Lord. You're getting in the way of this guy coming to Christ. And so Paul did not uh, sugarcoat all this stuff. He didn't come and try to make, make nice with Bar Jesus so they could be friends and work together, all that. He told it exactly like it was. And this was, I'm going to show you that he, he was actually showing love. 
to bar Jesus when he did this. Warning somebody about their position is not unloving. I don't care what the world says today. Love is all tolerant and politically correct and you can't offend this person. Sometimes love is offensive. I talked about this morning. If you're a drug addict, the most loving thing somebody can do is lock you down in a room and not give you no drugs. It's going to cause pain. It's going to cause withdrawal. They'll probably say, I hate you. They'll probably do all kinds of things and they'll have to go through a whole bunch of stuff. But the most loving thing you could do is to make them go through it and to get them off of what's killing them. And so Paul comes and he says, this guy's soul is too important for me to come jerking around with you and come trying to play this game with you. So basically he stops talking to Sergius. He puts his eyes on Bar Jesus. He said, you are a son of the devil, full of wickedness, full of deceit. And then he says, you're blind and blinded. And we'll look at the next verse. It says, and now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. It, it, it says against thee. And thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeing, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now listen. He, when someone's soul is on the line, it is... You cannot, you cannot play this game, this, this uh, play nice game, this tolerant. Now, I'm not saying go be mean just to be mean or go be intolerant. We all know that I probably take it a little too far sometimes. But it is so important for you to understand that you can't play with those that oppose the gospel. You got someone who don't understand, someone who needs instruction, someone who's, you know, just not not getting it, not, you know, maybe maybe believing some things that are not really biblical whatever. You can work with that. But when you got someone that's opposing the gospel, someone who is outright resisting what you're trying to do with someone else, you can't play. You can't play with it. There, it's too important a thing. It's too that person's soul was too important to Paul for him to mess around with this guy any further. He stopped it right in his tracks. He said, "You know, uh, your son of the devil, full of wickedness." He says, "You're going to be blind." And from that moment, it, he was blind, seeking someone to uh, to lead him about by the hand. Now. What I want you to see also is that this was the most loving and gracious thing that Paul could have done for Bar Jesus. Why do you think so? I think he did that because that's what happened to him. And he saw his reflection of himself being Maybe so. Maybe so. And that's a wonderful point. A lot of people read the story and they don't connect those two dots. That this is exactly what Paul went through just four chapters earlier. The most gracious thing that he could have done. Notice what he says. He says, you're going to be blind. For a season. For a season. Just a little. Not forever. God would have been well within his right to strike him dead for what he'd done. God would have been well within his right to strike him blind for the rest of his life. But Paul said, you're going to be blind for a season. Not, for, not seeing the sun for a season. You remember when we talked about Paul's blindness? We talked about when God struck Paul blind and we talked about what do you think Paul was doing during the time that he was blind? We said we had lots of thoughts on that. We had lots of answers. He was probably he had time to repent. He was probably thinking about all the people that he had killed all the Christians that he had martyred all the, the, the scripture that he had learned you know as a Old Testament scholar going through these things in his head you know all this 
was probably coming together in those three days that he was blind. And it, uh, it brought him to a place of repentance. It brought him to a place of brokenness where he could trust in Christ. And that is what he, I, I think, that is what he gave Bar-Jesus right here. He saw a lot of Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. He he blinded him. And it says, let's make sure we say, it says being filled with the Holy Spirit, he said. So it wasn't just Paul thinking, you know what, I'm going to blind this guy. It was God through Paul. It was God, the Holy Spirit that led Paul to do what he did. It wasn't just Paul making decisions. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to blind him. Uh, it was God doing it. But... You can see the grace that he gave him. You're going to be blind for a season. He's given Bar-Jesus the same, the same opportunity to repent that Paul had. He's given him the same time. He's given him pronouncing judgment on him, pronouncing his wrongs, pronouncing the fact that he was a son of the devil, was loving for him to do. It is, it is not unloving. It is, it's unloving to watch somebody go off the cliff of destruction without saying anything. The most loving thing you can do sometimes is offensive. It's offensive. You know, when, when, when someone, I tell you what, I got people, I got people right now in my life, in my circle of influence. And it's like, it's like, have you ever seen that video with the chick with the nail sticking out her head? Oh, I got to show you all that. She's got, she, you seen that? That is hilarious. He's got this chick talking to her husband. She's got a nail sticking out her head about this far. And she says, I just got these headaches all the time and I don't understand why. And I just, what? And the guy's like, well, you got a nail sticking out. She said, it's not about the nail. You always want to fix things. I just need you to listen. You know, my head hurts and I always rip my sweater when I put it on. And I don't, she's doing this. And he's like, you got a, you got a nail sticking out of your head. And, and she's like, why do you always try to fix everything? Just listen, you know. And there's people like that now. It's like, you know, I, I got this big bloody sore right here on my head. And I'm watching them go banging their head against the wall. And they'll say, help me fix this big bloody sore. And I'm saying, well, don't bang your head against the wall. No, that's not it. You know, it, it, it's like, but if you say this is the problem, they're going to get offended and leave. You can see it in the eyes like, how dare you tell me? What a, sometimes the most loving thing you can do to somebody is offend them. This is not very politically correct. It's not very tolerant. The Paul would not have made a good pastor. He would have made a good pastor, but in the people's eyes, he would not have made a good pastor in modern 21st century America. He was not a people pleaser at all. He told it like it was. And when this guy kept running that trap in Sergius Paulus's ear, he just looked at him and said, look, I had enough. You blind. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, you're son of the devil, you're blind. He blinded it. But it was also the most gracious thing he could have done. Now, we're not told if Bar-Jesus ever repented. We're not told if he ever came to Christ. We, we don't know. We never hear his name again. It's possible that you could see him when you get to heaven. If he repented of his sin, he trusted in Christ, he had an opportunity. He had an opportunity to come to Christ. He stripped him of his Yeah. You know, so that that has a way of automatically humbling you and getting you off your high horse. 
Definitely, definitely. And he, he was worried about his position, I'm sure, and which is the reason why we skipped the, we skipped the part that we didn't talk about. But Bar-Jesus, the point that he wanted to do, look at the end of verse 8. It says he was seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. That was his goal, turn him away from the faith. And the last verse, verse 12, it says, Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, he believed. He was converted. But look at this last clause. It says, being astonished at the doctrine, the teaching of the Lord. He wasn't converted because he saw this great miracle of this guy going blind. He was converted because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That's one thing that you you desperately need to learn. I hear it, especially working at the hospital. I hear it all the time. Well, I know I'm right with God because he saved me through surgery. I was supposed to be dead, but now I'm still here. I know I know I have a relationship with God because I've seen him move in ways that you can't even imagine. That does not follow. God moves whether you, whether you have a relationship with Him or not. He's a gracious God. It rains on the just and the unjust. I've also heard people, I was a, one person was, there's no doubt, was miraculously healed. And all for the rest of her life, she passed on now, but for the rest of her life, she said, well, I know God's got something for me to do, but she never did anything. You are not right with God because you've seen Him move or because of an experience that you have. You're only right with God by trusting in Christ. That's what Sergius Paulus was here. He, he didn't believe because he saw God strike this guy blind. He believed because of the teaching and the doctrine about Jesus Christ and who he was. That is what you and I have to come to. You can't say I'm right with God or I have a relationship with God just because you have seen something miraculous. Miraculous things go on in, in God's economy all the time. People come out of surgery who were never thought they were supposed to come out of surgery. People have uh, events in their life and they, you know, when you when you're down and it seems like you're about you're about at the end of your rope. They'll call out to God and God will be gracious and he'll he'll remove the circumstances and they'll say, well, I must be I must be right with God. I must have a relationship with him if he answered my prayer and did this for me. That is not true. Not necessarily. The only way that a person comes to be right with God is by trusting in Christ, by being a disciple of the Lord, by laying down their life, picking up the cross and following Christ. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? So if you're a servant, understand you're going to serve no matter what. Paul started off serving in the church and then the Holy Spirit called him out. If you're a servant, you're always going to face opposition everywhere he went. And we're going to see the rest of the book of Acts. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be causing riots. He's going to he's always going to face you're always going to face opposition the third thing is you cannot when somebody's soul is at stake in everything that you do you can't play this toleration politically correct game you can't you can't say something's right if it's not right you have to warn people that judgment's coming you don't have to be a rear end about it you don't have to be just particularly offensive but you have to speak the truth no matter what and the fourth thing that we see is that you and whoever else that you minister to has to trust in Christ to be right with God. Just saying I had an experience with something or something is not good enough. I don't care what kind of experience it was. You have to have a relationship with Christ to be right with God. Okay? Is there any questions, comments, cries of outrage?
All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this book that we're going through, God, how much it teaches us. Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us today as we go into this service, Lord. Be with Brother John as he's getting ready to preach. We, uh, we, we pray that you would give us hearts to worship you and to seek after you. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hmm.